It's the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. All right, welcome to episode three. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, today we have a very special guest, I think, in my opinion. Uh, I'd like to welcome John Calarco, a.k.a. Johnny C., a professional musician and drummer here in Milwaukee. Hey. Welcome, John. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Um, now, John, you and I have been acquainted since high school. A long so, time. <laughs> a little, maybe a little too long. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, we probably don't want to admit how long we've been acquainted. <laughs> but um, yeah. tell us what you've been doing. Now, you, you are a professional drummer. I have been playing music professionally now, geez, for about uh, 25 years, but I've been playing music for over 35. Oh, I'm getting up there with the age. Am I not revealing my age? But um, I've been doing it most of my life, and uh, pretty much since my college days. Um, right out of college, actually, I had an offer to go overseas and uh, do my... Uh, useless degree was archaeology. That's what my uh, anthropology. And uh, I actually got a job offer over in India. And simultaneously, I got an offer to go on the road with Tori Amos and the Boys for Pele tour with uh, Willie Porter. We were the support for that. And I chose the latter and never looked back. So that's what happened. Excellent. Now, John, a um, little background. Born in Milwaukee? I was born in Milwaukee and... Uh, Grew up here. Um, my f- whole family's from here, and I, uh, I did live in New York City for a while as a musician. I, that was much later, obviously, and came back to raise kids here. That's pretty much why I came back. I didn't want to raise kids in Manhattan. So, okay. Now, um, you said you've been playing music at least thirty-five years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how'd you get started? My older brother Frank, uh, who's a great guitar player. Actually, we come from a family of musicians. My uncles, my mom on my mom's side, uh, my uncle Art, who is currently still living in New York, was a bass player, and he was the first, you know, one to really make it in the music industry. He got signed to Atlantic Records in in the late '60s with a band called Ars Nova, which was a band that actually influenced Blood, Sweat, and Tears. They, were, they actually were the influence. They were on Atlantic. But he was really a jazzer, and he played with all kinds of jazz players, and he was well-known, got a name for himself, and he was a big inspiration for me. And his younger brother, Jim, my uncle, was the first band I ever played in, and it was, it was a country band, <laughs> which was quite different. And But I'll tell you what, I learned a lot from the three of those, my brother and my two uncles. And uh, I was eight years old when I first started, and... My first professional gig was at 14, playing in a big band. And then I uh, was playing with my uncle Jim when I was about 17 or 18. And it goes from there. And then uh, I branched out locally. I started to get a name for myself in town here. And I joined a band called Big Bang Theory, which was a big rock funk band. And it turned into probably the most popular band in Milwaukee at the time. We had suitors of different labels coming after us left and right and for one reason or another we never got signed but that's another story for another podcast (laughs) and uh it just went from there i just started to get a name for myself as a player and was being asked 
by all different uh, groups in town to play with him. And I just played as much as I could with as many different acts as I could and genres. I, fe I feel as an, a musician, you can't pigeonhole yourself into just one style. You have to learn all your styles and you have to work on your craft, you know. And uh, probably my first break was with Willie Porter, who was another Milwaukee alum. And uh, we actually had a song we wrote together called Angry Words, which was on his Dog Ear Dream record. And that song actually charted on the charts for the AAA format, which was college radio at the time. Mm. We actually hit number one. And that led to the tour with Tori Amos and getting around the world. And that was really the carrot in front of the horse, you know. Now you say, so you've never had any, uh, I shouldn't say any formal, but any kind of formal training? I did. I did. I studied locally here when I was a kid in my early teens with a, one of the best teachers I to this day. His name was Bob Budney. He's still around, too. Great teacher. And uh, I learned more from him than almost anybody. But I, I did um, study in New York City at the Drummers Collective. I worked with uh, Mike Clark, who was a great fusion jazz drummer with a band called Brand X. Uh, Peter Erskine, who was with Weather Report, studied with him. Uh, Jojo Meyer, who was another great drummer. So I was very blessed to uh, work with a lot of these guys, and I learned a lot. Uh, especially in New York, so. <clears throat> so, you don't have a uh, you don't, you don't have a degree in music. I though. do not. Your degree no. is in anthropology. Anthropology, yes. <laughs> hey, they go well together. They, they probably do a little bit, I would imagine. Uh, now you, I, I said <laughs> you you are a professional musician, so that is how you make your living. That it certainly is. So, not being in the music scene in, in, in Milwaukee or, and not being really in tune to much music. Um, how do you make a living as a professional musician here in <laughs> Milwaukee? I mean, I, you know, Milwaukee, when I talk to my relatives and I have relatives on each coast and down South, you know, Milwaukee is the town of beer brats, you know, and the brewers. And then, uh, it's the satellite city for the Packers. That's what they know about, you know, and, and cows in Wisconsin. So when when I think when they think music, you know, uh, people think Nashville, New York, L.A. Um, how do you make a living as a professional musician here in Milwaukee? Well, to, you'll be surprised because actually in Milwaukee versus New York, L.A., and et cetera, where you have to pay to play out there. Okay. Really, you have to sell tickets to play in venues out there. Here, it's pretty pretty easy to make a living. I mean, one thing you forgot to mention is we're now the city of festivals during the, during the spring and summer and fall, and there's really good money to be made at these festivals once you get in. Now, there's a backside to that, and there's, a, there's always a negative. Um, I always believed in original music as being... The whole reason to get out and play is to, but when you're catering to, you know, a certain clientele, especially in a festival, they want to hear a lot of covers. They want to hear right. songs that they're familiar with because that's what sells beer. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. But to be honest with you, though, if it, the trick is is to find the balance between 
yeah, you're going to have to do that kind of stuff, you know, especially now. I mean, really name players from the 80s and 90s are now even resorting to doing stuff like this. And there are there are some well uh, f- or famous drummers today that are doing gigs they would never have done in the 80s and 90s. The economy is dictated as such. And I'll be honest, you know, I wasn't a big fan of playing covers but and weddings and this and that, but you can make a pretty good living at it. And the key in any for any musician, see, I also write music, and the real money is in the publishing. So that's called mailbox money. That's where you don't have to go out and slave drive yourself, and you can sit home and, oh, there's a check that came in the mail from ASCAP. Hey, hello, you know, <laughs> that pays for my mortgage this month. So um, those are always nice surprises to have, and I want to have more of those. <laughs> and... Uh, but you know what? From the months of March through probably Labor Day, this is the place to be if you want to make money playing music. Um, not always original music, right? but you can still do original music. Like Summerfest is one of the biggest music festivals in the world, and you can, high, you can showcase your original acts in front of you know, a few thousand people it's a, what is it? Eleven day event, I think. Uh, ten to eleven days. Ten, now, ten to yeah. eleven, and how many stages? Like, well, ten stages down there. Oh, I think ten, eleven. Ten, eleven. Plus, you have the big amphitheater that has all the big acts. And the new Beemo Harris. Yeah, so there are places to do your original music. Matter of fact, I f- I had a a great experience this previous Summerfest. Um, I um, got a hold of a guy in England whose name is John Hogg, H-O-G-G. He's a great singer, and he actually sang with Chris Robinson of the Black Crows called, and a band called Hookah Brown. And before that, he had a band called Moke, which, M-O-K-E, which if you're not hip to them, check them out. Um, they're no longer together, but great band. And this guy is a great singer and a great songwriter. I was wondering, whatever happened to this guy? Through the Internet, I found him. And I actually reached out to this individual, and he actually responded to me. And to make a long story short, I ended up befriending this guy, and I brought him here from England to do a show at Summerfest. And it was very successful, and now we're talking about possibly doing a record together. So it's things like that, networking, that can really push your career on another level as well. So I'm kind of excited about that for 2014. Now... And kind of one thing you just touched on uh, the the internet, and I, I, again, it used to be I would think you had recording studios, management companies, places again that were hotbeds for music. Has the digital age? Has the internet? Has MP3s? Has that? Does it really matter where you are anymore? No, to do music, it does not. Um, if you want to talk about getting on tours for like national acts, Nashville, um, L.A., Atlanta, those are still really the places to be for, you know, if you want to do a cattle call audition, you know. Okay. Um, and if you know people, it, again, it's like anything else. It's who you know. Okay. Um, but, yeah, you're right. With the, In the cyber age, it doesn't matter where you are because you're only a click away. Now, instead of, you know, 
Well, you, you hear of bands, you know, offering free music to get heard. Sure. You know, opening a website. You know, you don't have to get the airplay on the radio no. anymore um, to get known or heard. Or Well, classic example, look at Bon Iver. True. Yeah. Guys from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, yep. went up to the woods, recorded a record, and several million hits on YouTube later, here we are. He's He actually won a Grammy, you know? So it can be done. I mean, it's not going to happen with everybody. If your music can resonate on some level, uh, great things can happen, you know? But that's the realm of artists and songwriters. I mean, as an instrumentalist, which is also what I do, and that's where I make the majority of my money, um, I would say that you'd have to, you have to um, branch out in much bigger ways to make an actual living, you know? So... Um you're 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 writing and publishing a lot more. Is that your main focus right now? No, um, <laughs> it should be, but it's not. Um, I am doing some of that. I'm not doing as much as I want to at the moment. I'm actually coming out with a solo record. I was wor- I've been working on a record, okay. so CD. Not to age myself, but actually, what would it be called today? It would be called I, Download. I, yeah, I don't I'm even think sure. it's, I'm some, it's called. I'm working CDs on some music. Anyway. Yeah, it's kind of. <laughs> I still call them albums, so that'll that'll date me right there. Well, so. I'll tell you, I, I certainly miss those because with an album, and I think kids are missing out, not to digress here, but I have to say this, um, they're really missing out on what it is like to open an album, yeah. put it on a turntable, see the story, see the artwork, hold it in your hand. Albums used to take you on a journey as a kid. You could close your eyes if you're want to have a beer or smoke a little of this and that, you close your eyes and you're taken on a journey, you know? And to me, that was the whole experience of music. I remember in high school, and when we were in high school, yeah. I remember um, I was always a big police fan, you know? And uh, I remember when Synchronicity came out and I was waiting for that album to come out. You know, I was a huge police fan at the time. And boy, it was so exciting to get that album in my hands, you know, or that little cassette or whatever it was. And... I just think today the kids are just missing out. I mean, there's nothing visceral, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just this download now that you you hit a button and there it is. You're you're missing out on the whole story. Well, the whole experience. Yeah. And one thing that it's always, again, I'm not a huge download guy. I like certain music, but I don't download a lot of music. Um a lot of music I have is stuff that I've had to, you know, rip off my own CDs. Mm-hmm. Um, people are missing out on the album experience. You know, they're taking a track, they're taking one or two tracks maybe off of a release, which we'll call an album because I don't know what else to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not listening to the whole. It's a singles the, market. Yeah, it's it's strictly a singles market. I mean, it's, again, we'll go date ourselves back. Everybody's buying 45s, nobody's buying the album. But you know what's weird? When the rock era began, Elvis, that's what it was. It was 45s. And then, you know, in the late 60s with the Beatles and into the 70s and beyond, it became albums. And you'd, the word album cut was never heard in the, in the days of early, like, uh, Johnny Cash or Hank Williams or, and uh, <clears throat> Elvis. You, you didn't hear about album cuts. They were all singles. True. So it's kind of weird that it's come around that way, but in a digital sense, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm all, my only prayer and hope is that we can get to the 
album set again. You know, the al- to, to listen to more than two songs on a record because if kid, I don't know if kids have patience for that anymore. I just well, it's a different era. And we talk about high school, and yeah, I would. Uh, and again, my my musical, I'll go back to junior high, high school. Um, who was big then, and what did we, what, I, what I look at the albums I have, and, and again, I wasn't a huge record guy, so, but um, Billy Joel, and I think probably one of the, um, I probably tell you the first couple albums I had in junior high, I had Billy Joel, Glass Houses, hmm. uh, Fleetwood Mac, Rumors, oh, yeah. okay, um, and and, uh, and of course everybody had uh, Aerosmith, Breakfast in America, oh, of course, okay, and you'd start at one end and you'd play it for its twenty two minutes till it hit the label, and then you'd flip it. And you'd hear everything that they they had, yeah. if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't listen to one song, pick up the needle and bring it back, and yeah. or jump three songs or skip. You know, maybe if you had eight track. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Again, let's date ourselves. Eight right? tracks. Oh, uh, that's maybe if you had an eight track, you jumped around a little bit, yeah, but uh, oh my god. but you listened to the whole album. You heard different types of songs. Yep. Uh, that that artist put on the album, and some were ballads, some were you know faster, depending on what they were. Uh, but you heard their whole range, if you will, you know, and, and I think that's the way albums were produced. They kind of gave everybody a little bit of something with, you know, the really songs that got airplay, you know, closer to the label. Yeah, so, <laughs> that's true. Um, and, you know, I don't know, today it's a reflection of society in a way, too, I think, because everything is now, the now generation. They all want it now, and everything is, and it's not a negative thing. It's pretty much reality. I think, uh, I mean, there is some hope. I will say this. <laughs> I do know, and I don't want it to sound subjective, because there is some great modern music. You know, I'm not saying it uh, to all the olds. There was some really bad old music, too. And, and that's even subjective. But if you look, a lot of my nieces are into the Beatles. They're into Led Zeppelin, and no one's prodding them to do that. They're, I think... The cream will always rise to the top of good music. I mean, at least I hope so. I'm banking on that because uh, this is my profession, and I sure hope that, I sure hope there's some uh, real real stuff out there. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm trying, like I like my rec- I I decided to finally do a, a CD, and it's after years of people badgering me to do it. And my my excuse for not doing it was always like, oh, nobody's gonna want to hear what I what I do, you know, blah 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 blah, you know, the woe is me artist thing. And you know what? I finally said, I'm just gonna do a snap. I'm gonna do a CD. It's gonna be a snapshot of where I am in my life right now, musically, lyrically, everything. And I have to say, I'm really happy with what came out, and and it'll be out hopefully soon. It's got to be mixed yet, but. Um, and that's just it. I mean, if people like Bon Iver, who no one gave a chance to do anything, and look what he did, because he believed in what he was doing and he did it. And if it resonates as real, I think that is what people are missing in today's music, is the element of the artist being real on recording versus this manufactured artist, if you know what I mean, if that makes any sense. Well, I, I, yeah, we were talking about it prior to this, <laughs> about, you know, um, the marketing of music. And it's not about the music. It's about the image of the music. Yeah. And 
and I, like you said, I think people who enjoy music and really know music, um, and maybe it's a, a maturation process, you know, from kids to young adults to older adults, mm-hmm. um, you get a little bit more of appreciation for it. And, and again, that's why younger generations are listen, listening to things that are a little bit older now. Uh, well, we'll call it older, you know, the 60s, 70s stuff. Uh, sure, but you'll, you remember when we were younger, our parents would say our music, music was garbage. You know, everything goes in cycles, <laughs> you know. And I, but honestly, if you really look at it, and I hate to use the word subjective again, but if you, if you look at it, I can appreciate now the music my parents listen to, like Sinatra and, and stuff like that, with the great or- Count Basie's orchestras and the great arrangements of that music. Can you really do that with today's music? Are you going to be able to do that 20 years from now? And my guess is no. I mean, there is some good stuff. I'm mm-hmm. not saying every. I mean, there's some great bands out there. Don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about what is being crammed down the clear channel throat, yeah. so to speak. And uh, it's kind of frightening. I, I know this. we've gotten off on a tangent of trying to make music in Milwaukee here, but, oh. but, <laughs> but this is important stuff to me. Um, I, hope, I hope things get, get back to you know, the album concept. I really do. Well, you've seen it a little bit, I know, on the iTunes. Uh, when you go to iTunes, you can buy a complete album, and they have enhanced albums where you get the album artwork. You get some mm-hmm. of the liner notes, uh, the lyrics, and and those are the things you used to get with a with a vinyl yeah. album yeah. and and the case as well as the artwork, yep. which is another lost thing. We probably talk about hours about <laughs> album artwork and mm-hmm. and what we did with those album covers. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh, yeah. <laughs> do you find that being out there in the industry, what we're doing right here, we couldn't have done twenty five years ago. Okay, we're recording digitally. Um, we're going to have this thing up in an hour or two. Again, not necessarily professionally mixed, but you know, this used to be a full day project. Sure. To do something of this nature, if it wasn't live. Tape. To do tape and then cut it and edit it and then get it ready for syndication and making copies. So is it easier to make, I shouldn't say easier to make music because you're going to make music whether you record or not, but is it easier to get your music out there now no because doubt. no doubt. I mean are, where are you recording you're not in a are you at are you where's your studio where are you well, recording I have a own? little studio in my basement okay. which you'd be amazed it sounds like radio quality stuff but I that I won't settle for that I'll actually go in a major studio still because I really feel that you can't replace it's like you can't replace a real studio you just can't to me I mean the ambience of of everything and for example, like at my house, I do have a drum set at my house since I am a drummer, but I won't record with them because I have muffle pads on them, not to drive my wife and kids crazy. <laughs> so I have, you know, in my in my Pro Tools or Logic, I have like Easy Drummer or, or Big Drums. Mm-hmm. These are great programs. They sound like real drummers, you know. And being a drummer, I can make them sound even more realistic because I know new, I know nuance of drums probably better than a keyboard player does or a guitar player does, mm-hmm. so I can get a lot of that done in my basement. And but that's just to get the idea down. If I wanted to go do it for real, 
I'm going to take it in a major studio. This record I just did, it was done in Nashville. And um, I had some great Nashville um, A session players on it with me, which was a lot of fun. And I think once you hear it, you'll say, oh, yeah, you couldn't have done that in your basement. But then again, there's some guys that do some amazing stuff right out of their basement. So, Mm -hmm. for example, you could take GarageBand right now. You could put a little snippet of a three-minute song together, and you could put it out on on the Internet for hundreds or hundreds of thousands of people to hear, right? Mm -hmm. You couldn't do that 15, 20 years ago, you know? Um, so in that, in essence, yeah. But there's a problem with that. All of a sudden, everybody's a songwriter, or everybody's an artist, or everybody's a instrumentalist, and that's the, that's where the problem begins. Well, and that's and that's where I I see that I, I take pictures as a hobby, hmm. and it's amazing what the digital revolution has done for photography. Anybody can go buy a digital SLR with a couple of nice lenses four, five, six, seven hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And now everybody's a wedding photographer or a baby photographer or a stu- you know, a studio photographer. Everybody's, oh, I can take pictures. I can take pictures. And I'm sure that has the same kind of thing as in music. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you have somebody who has some talent, it's a lot easier to get that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, does it, do, you, do you find that it's there's a lot more to weed through to get to the good stuff? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, and it's, yeah. it's almost kind of numbing yeah, I would say. Um, there's no doubt that it's overwhelming now with how many bands are out there and how much music is actually out there. And that's a great thing. Um, I'll never complain about there being too much art out there. Okay. But at the same time, you're, and it's just the law, you're going to have a lot, of, a lot more... Okay terrible stuff and you're going to have you know, a lot of finger mediocre painter. things yeah, yeah. You got a lot more finger painters when you got to yeah. look for that one picasso yeah exactly so and it, and it makes it yeah you gotta i think like spotify is a cool thing stuff like that i mean you can go on there and pretty much describe what you want to hear and they'll come up with something right and you'll go oh yeah that's cool so that kind of stuff is great and satellite radio there's hope there you know um i actually heard a song that i co-wrote on a satellite station. I'll never see a dime of it, but <laughs> but uh, it was good to know that it's out there. You know? it's out there. Well, tell us a little bit about, now you just mentioned you're, you're, you're mixing an album right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what type of music, what kind of music does John want to put out? It's funny you mentioned that. I was just talking to somebody about that. Um, everyone thinks I'm putting out a jazz fusion drumming record. Yeah. Well, and that's and that that's kind of your trademark, isn't it? Yeah. Um it's what I tried to excel at as a musician. Um but I love rock and roll. I love all music. I love any kind of music that moves me. And this record I'm doing is is um I would have to say rock, you know, singer-songwriter, pop maybe with elements of um aggressive drumming should i say um but the focus of this record is not my drumming it's um the songs and my voice i i actually wanted to you i've been told hey you got a nice voice why don't you do something with it i'm like all right i'll try it you know because i've always been a background singer or a backup singer in every band i've been in Mm -hmm. and 
I just figured, why not try a lead and do it? And it's well, turned I, out pretty cool. Yeah, so and I'm going to compliment you here because a couple of years oh. back, I did a little video work for you and your brother when you guys were playing together. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you right. did um, part of that tape. Uh, it was kind of a demo tape for the band you guys were putting together. It, this goes back a while. And um, you did lead vocals on a Don Henley song, ah. Heart of the Matter. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I watching the tape and editing the tape and hearing that song over and over again, I said, well, you know, I, I didn't didn't have the capability at the time to rip the, the sound off mm-hmm. and, you know, digitize it and listen to it. So I hunted down the Don Henley album and said, I like this song, I like mm-hmm. this song. I like your version better. Wow. <laughs> was, wow. You made me, your version makes me enjoy that song. When I hear Thank Don you. Henley sing, I I don't, I think of you and your version of it, and wow. that's and that makes me enjoy it a little bit more, um, oh, because I say it, it's one of those John sings this a little bit better, so you kind of drift back a little bit, I guess. Wow, and, uh, <laughs> listen to it with rose-colored ears, if you will. But I that that so when you talk about your vocals, and I know you'll you'll never hold yourself up. I, I think I know that enough about uh, you. Yeah, you're never going to be that big of a self promoter, but yeah. it was. Uh, it was enjoyable, and I was like, and and again, that was something I didn't recognize. I, wow, I, I knew you as a drummer, and knew you as a phenomenal drummer, and and your skills. Nobody would doubt your skills, but then to hear vocals, it was like, wow. Well, that's funny because I, that's the number one thing I always hear is John sings, and I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> I, I do. You know, I mean, I try. I try not to crack too many mirrors. You know, so I think um, it's important. In this industry, to make a living, you to to try and do as many different things as you can. I think, like I've been doing a lot of vocal jingle work for for radios commercials, and I was cracking up my my wife. I was actually in the car with her, and one of my commercials came on. She goes, "I said, hey, that's me." She goes, "That's not you." I'm like it is me, <laughs> and she listened closer. She goes, "That is you." I'm like. Yeah. So, so what are we listening for on local radio? Oh my God! What was what? What jingles have you? I've done J and B. Uh, it's a uh, interior uh, read or interior design. I, I've done that. Multiple pizza commercials. Uh, um, all the CBS News. Done oh. that. Um, a couple national spots. Um, Geico commercials and uh, what else? I can't even think of all of them. Oh. Uh, the funny thing is about these jingles, though, is that very rarely do they want me to just sing with my voice. The funniest one, um, guy came in and, or I came in and a guy said, hey, can you imitate Cat Stevens? I'm like, do people even know who he is anymore? I'm like. <laughs> is even Cat Stevens <laughs> It's not even Cat. I said, I'll give it my best. I went, hi, hi, just like that. And she goes, that's it. <laughs> so, got the gig. And, uh it's funny because my wife laughs. I'm like, I'm like, well, that paid for your student loan payment this month, so uh, don't laugh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so what? Uh, again, we'll get back to your to your your album here. You're mixing it down, and and you said you were, you're trying to make music that kind of fits the time of your life. So, what should? What's your time frame on this? Do you have an idea? When's it gonna when, be out? When it'll be out? Um, it should have been out already. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um. I was hoping to have it out by Christmas. Um, the guy, Ryan Rossabo is the producer, and he's great. He lives in Nashville, and 
he's a friend of mine, so of course he's doing it on the cheap for me, right. which is much appreciated. But with that comes the fact that when he's got a real paying gig, he's got to attend to that. So he's just been getting swamped because his name is growing. Excuse me. And But it's all working out for the better because I have time to really sit and analyze things. Sometimes that's the worst thing to do for me because I'll start ripping it apart. Start overthinking it? Oh, God. Um, I still think I, I'm one sh- song short on the record, but he won't let me do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he promised me that the week before Thanksgiving of this month, he's going to try and finish mixing it, and then I'll send it off to mastering, and it'll be done. So I should have it out by 2015. <laughs> <laughs> um, title yet? It's called No More Secrets. It's a title track of one of the songs on the record. And the whole record is about, not the whole record, but the majority of it is about overcoming um, addictions or um, finding your inner spirit, your inner source, so to speak. Not to get all like kitschy here, but but, um, a lot has happened to me in the last 10 years five to ten years that have been life transformation kind of things and I and it's kind of coming out in the music you know okay. and um, that part of it has been almost therapeutic for me which is great so talking through it and working through sure it. sure so aside from your album and um, your uh, your jingle work um, I guess I'm guessing that's what you called mailbox money yeah yeah pops up every so yeah. often just a curiosity you get royalties off a of jingle no, those, that are called, kind of those, one... are, those are works for hire. Okay, those, so. You get a flat rate. You used to, in the old days, get residuals on all the commercials, which, God, if that were the case, I'd, we wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> um, but Well, I would be. You wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but I still get residuals on songs I've written, like with, like stuff I've done with Willie Porter. I still get checks for that, which is great. And that was, what, 97? Something like that. And uh, they actually tally it up and send me a check every quarter. It's great. So um, sometimes you'd laugh at the amount that comes in. You'd say the paper costs the, more. Costs more. <laughs> but uh, and those are worth framing, by the way. Yeah. Show your kids. Hey, look what I made once. But you know, it, you take what you get in this business. You just yeah. take what you get. And I just, um, I'm just trying to keep as busy as possible. Like. Um, I've been very grateful to play with some of the greatest players around here and and abroad. I've been blessed, you know. Any drummer could have had my shoes. And somehow, you know, I got there, and and I just want to keep it going, you know. So what what other projects are you currently working on, or what, 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 have, what keeps you busy? Well, I'm currently uh, with this company called K-Nation, and it's run by a guy named Jim Kazmarek, who... Um, owns Capco Metal Stamping, and he's, he wanted to start an entertainment industry or division. And Jason Clagstad is is heading it. He's a well-known musician in Milwaukee. He's been around forever. And I, I've played with Chase and Mason, which is a country rock band, and uh, they just released their first, or we, sh- I should say we, just released our first CD called Real Life Real Loud. And um, we'll see where that goes. And... I'm also with this company. They bring in artists from all over the country, 
and I play with them and I music direct some of it. Like Danny Goki, I just played with Danny from American Idol. Uh, Naima Adedapo, I worked with her. She was on American Idol. Katrina Elam, and she's a great singer out of Nashville. And there's a whole bunch of other artists that they plan on bringing up and some more named people. And we'll see what happens in 2014. Hopefully it'll be a step up, you know, so. So your current position with K-Nation your musical director? Well, or? on some projects, I'm a drummer for hire. You know, I'm a drummer on staff. Okay. It's a unique situation. Um, and my job is to always be prepared for any style of music that they throw at me and to deliver. And and it's great because I don't have to... See, for me right now, I could easily be hustling a road gig. You know, I don't want to do that right now. I've done it. I want to be home with my kids. And this offers me a great opportunity to make a living and still be home. And I don't have to be gone all the time. I do know that as a musician, um, there are going to be times that when that's required and that's fine. But um, for now, it's been great. I, I, I don't have to travel too far and I still get to sleep in my bed at night, which is great. So, um, speak, uh, You mentioned Jason Mason. Uh, Jason Mason. Mm-hmm. Um. Again, I I probably should be a little bit better prepared for this, but no, now, okay. is it all um, lo- started as a local band? They were a local, yeah. They were a local band. They were, they started as a cover band, and and like I told you before, as we were talking before, cover bands around here make all the money. You know, they make a lot of money. You know, <laughs> six figures a year as far as what they bring in easily. And so you can make a really good living doing that. And Mason was and currently still is the top grossing band in the state of Wisconsin and most of Illinois, I guess, parts of Illinois. And uh, so the emphasis now is to take them into an original direction and, and use that fan base to further the music. And I, I, I totally get the strategy. I think it's a good idea. But, you know, there's always that point of if you start adding too many originals, are you going to lose your crowd? And it's a fickle crowd. It really is. I've I've never really been um, hip to the country rock crowd. I was always either jazz or rock or Mm -hmm. blues. When I was with Greg Koch, it was blues and stuff. But um, I would say, you know, this crowd is the most fickle that I've ever experienced because... (laughs) You could play two original songs and they're going to, to the bar to get beer. Oh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so they're not hearing it anyway, even though they can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. so, but w- with this band though, we've held their attention and they seem to really like it. So we'll see what happens. Maybe they can jettison into a bigger thing. Who knows? Okay. What kind of time frame does that take up for you to be in Mason? a band? Yeah, Mason. Well, they usually take up my weekends. You know, okay. um, not much during the week unless there's a lot, unless the two, the main writers, I don't really write with them okay. musically. I pretty much am just the drummer and backup singer. I, I do all the high harmonies. So my role is different in that band. I, I just show up and do my job and I kind of steer the ship as the drummer, you know. Okay. Um, what they do during the week is usually, if they're not writing or something, they're they're marketing, <laughs> Okay. It's a constant marketing job. Yeah. 
so the image that, again, not being a music guy, I keep reiterating that, but I'm not a music guy, so you guys don't get together three, four times a week to rehearse, to practice, to... That's pretty much, I mean, your professionals, you know your yeah. you know your jobs, your yeah. position, or the things you need to do. Well, when we want to change up the show, then we'll rehearse. But until then, I mean, it's like a well-oiled machine. Okay. It's like you're on autopilot. Okay. The, the only thing required is to bring the energy. It doesn't matter how tired you are. You have to bring the energy, you know, and... If you can, and it helps if the crowd's giving it back because then it fuels itself. And that's the whole experience about playing live, you know. Um, but, you know, yeah, so Mason is kind of like in this state where unless if it's not broke, don't fix it. And when it is a little bit weird, you go in and you re- revamp and the crowd, you hope, digs it. <laughs> So the majority of your time spent then is performing with... With Mason, it's performing and, and or recording. Like, okay. we, we'll go in the studio and we'll start knocking out songs. So, And um, as a drummer, I'm doing a lot of session work with different artists. So that's my main thing, you know, mm-hmm. so. And Mason's part of that, not all of it. Okay. You mentioned Summerfest. Yeah. Um, again, our city of festivals. You were, did you have a day off? <laughs> I mean, in that 10-day festival period? No. I, <laughs> Let me tell you, and that's great. I'll never complain about that. It is tiring. But the craziest one this year was I did for the K-Nation Day where I backed up all the artists. I was part of the band. I backed up all the artists plus a full Mason show. We headlined or was it a headliner? No, we Mason played at 8 o'clock, so that's right before the headliner. But before that, it was five hours of straight playing with backing up like these other artists from Nashville and learning all their material, knowing the different feels for every artist and what they want, making notes, reading charts, playing to a click, everything, nailing, trying to nail all the arrangements, and then doing a high-powered two-hour show with Chase and Mason. And then after that, and this, this was this year, then after that, I packed up, the roadies took the gear away, and I went and played another three hours with a Big Bang Theory reunion show at, starting at 10.30 at night. Oh. <laughs> so let me tell you, uh, I had three different pairs of clothes that I, I had with me that day, so... It's crazy. And that was one single day. That was just one day. So did you play every day of the I festival? I played uh, just about, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I sat in with different artists. I I played at the K-Nation stage with Keith Pulvermacher, who's another great up-and-coming uh, singer-songwriter guy. We, we did a show down there. Um, yeah, I was down there pretty much every day. Okay. Uh, I think I missed maybe one or two days. Now, as a mu- as, as again as a working musician, mm-hmm. <clears throat> is this make hay while the sun shines? Oh, yeah. I mean that's those ten days are gold. I would imagine for anybody of, for your, of it, your skill level. Yeah, I would say that you're guaranteed work. Thank God, um, and it's your home. It's good pay. You know. And uh, I'm not going to complain about it, that's for sure. <laughs> you see, musicians are funny because they all want work. 
then when they get it, they complain. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I've learned no, not anymore. No, I was there at one point. I would complain that something wasn't right, or I was being asked to do something that was ridiculous. But you know, now it's just bring it on. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'll do whatever. So, I got mouths to feed. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's not about me anymore. Well, now you, you talked about family. Yeah, is, is that one of the biggest influences why <clears throat> you're back in the Milwaukee area? Definitely. After touring um, the world and living in New York and Yeah. Um I'll tell you, man, I got to see the world. I, I was blessed to play with Greg Koch, who's a fantastic guitar player and with and Fender Musical Instruments um was backing up our tours. So we got to go to Russia, we got to go Europe, all over Europe. And I was blessed at these big galas in Frankfurt, Germany and stuff to play with like great musicians and with Greg, uh, Andy Summers from The Police, I got to play with him, uh, Nils Lofgren, people like that, you know. And then uh, Marcus Miller, uh, Reggie Hamilton, Roscoe Beck, great bass players, you know. So I was exposed to a lot of great players and very lucky and blessed to to do that and um i'll tell you when i was living in new york city and i was still dating my now wife um i just realized if i'm going to raise kids i don't want it to be in new york city so i was even though i had a pretty good thing going on out there i was with blue man group i was working with them and i was getting my name around and even though it's a city of 11 million people, you know, but I was still managing to get a lot of work. And um, I, at the same time, though, if I'm going to raise kids, I'd rather be home. So that's what happened. So you came home to the Midwest to raise yeah. a family? Yeah. Um, two boys? Two boys, Anthony, who's eight, and Michael, who's two. And let me tell you. Oh, yeah. Got to love the two-year-olds, right? Oh, he's something else. Um, he loves the drums. Oh, my God. I got a drummer on my hands. Oh. The older one's more of, he's, a, he's an artist type, but he's into, he's a, he likes the piano, and he's really talented, Anthony is. and But Michael, he sits down on those drums, and he's already playing along. It's he's crazy. He's a pounder? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um. Who, who locally, um, were there local influences? Oh, definitely. Um, during, I mean, your young part of your career oh, when you were learning, you know, uh, when you were coming up, up and coming, uh, wh- what were your big local influ- influences here That's in Milwaukee? A great question. Um, besides my teacher, Bob Budney, Ernie Adams, great drummer who played with a band called, um, Oceans. Remember them? Mm-hmm. And Ernie Bucks was like, games? My, yeah. Okay. He, oh, yeah. It was even, <laughs> even before that, though. But Ernie, he's now in Chicago, and I used to go check him out at a place called Sardino's all the time, and and he would just spin my head around on a consistent basis. And I, he was like my big brother. He taught me a lot of stuff, and forever grateful for that. And he, and my brother Frank, again, it's one of my biggest influences with with turning me on to great music like Ma Vishnu and 
one of my biggest heroes, and it's Ernie's as well, is Tony Williams, who's a great drummer. He played Miles Davis when he was 17 years old. That's how great he was. Yeah. <laughs> and Tony was like, and still is, one of my biggest influences. And Vinnie Colaiuta and Steve Gadd, and I could go on and on and on. But John Bonham, um, Stuart Copeland, I could just name drop forever. I could sit here for another hour. <laughs> but uh, locally, Ernie was the man, and... Uh, you know, it was all, it was fun to to learn from him and and to watch, and then some of the other guys I would go out and see. Um, currently, there's some great players in town too right now. Um, a guy I really love is a guy, another jazz drummer, uh, Dave Bayless, who's great. Um, there's uh, some young gospel drummers that are coming up that are fantastic. So, the drumming community is in pretty good hands. However, I will say one thing with the younger guys. You can tell, or at least I, people might say I'm nuts, but I, I grew up using my ears. You know, I didn't have videos to, mm. to steal licks from and to, and to do this and that. And what I see is this homogenized thing happening with a lot of players where they all have the same drum licks or they're all trying to outdo the next guy with a, with a, different chopped, slightly variant chop from what everybody else is doing. And I think a lot of that's the result of, well, they have these things called shed sessions, and I've been a part of them too, and they're, and they're a lot of fun. You get a bunch of drummers in a room, and you just start playing. And you trade fours, and you trade eights. But then you go on YouTube, and now you can see everything, whereas before I would have to use my ears to learn these licks. And what it would inevitably do is what I would think was the lick wasn't quite it, but I would make it my own. Whereas on YouTube now, everyone's doing the exact same, same lick. Thing. There's no, there's nothing being. Is there a loss of creativity oh, I in think, the process? I think is so. But one thing you're seeing though, it goes both ways because then again, some of these young kids in their late teens and early twenties are doing chops that are Herculean chops that that I couldn't do, it, especially at that age, right. you know? And so there's a positive and a negative to me. Um, some of the younger guys, and I was guilty of this when I was in my 20s too, is you don't play for the song, they play for themselves, and that's a quick way out of a job. They'll learn that on their own, you know? So um, I wish them the, <laughs> the best on that. So, What's your favorite Milwaukee venue? Where do you, where does John want to play when he plays in Milwaukee? Good question. Um, it's interesting. On the bigger venues, I love the Paps Theater. I love that place. It's just something about it. It sounds great. Um, when you're on stage and you look up, it's really you see history there. I just love the way it looks. Riverside's kind of like that too, but I like I even like the Paps more. Um, Turner Hall is kind of cool, um, <clears throat> except it's weird. It's got that old style stage that leans forward. It was designed that way. Okay. And uh, so when you're on drums and you, you feel like if you hit the bass drum too hard, your bass drum's going to slide. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of funny, but that's a fun room. Um, God, I I love the little clubs like the Jazz Estate on Murray and North Avenue small, tiny little hole in the wall, but it just has such a great vibe and you see some great players. 
every Tuesday night they have this band called the Static Chicken that plays there, and it's a it's kind of a I don't want to say a jam band because they're not really a jam. They, they have arrangements and stuff, and but the amazing thing is about this band they've been there for years and they pack this place every Tuesday for years, and that's so great to see. And it's all local players, and it's local players, and it's so great to see them see the crowds come out to watch this band just jam, you know, and and get into it. It's not like they're just there to, to have drinks. They're there watching this band. So that's that's really encouraging to see, you know. Um, I love the estate. Uh, there's some historic venues. Shank Hall's been there forever. I'm actually playing there tomorrow night with Chase and Mason. Um, not to date that. You might want to edit that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let it slide. We'll let it slide. Um, and the BBC still has music upstairs. The Milwaukee East Side, to me, the Miramar Theater, um, great theater. Those are the East Side is still the hub for the scene, so to speak. Okay. And areas of Bayview too are pretty cool. Club Garibaldi and stuff like that. There's really, really great little hotbeds. People are saying, "Well, what's the music industry like in Milwaukee? How's the scene?" It's a great scene here. Um, Club owners don't want to pay anything, but the talent is here. I mean, there's some really great young bands that are coming up and creative. I'm not a pilot. I just saw them. Interesting band, you know. Um, there was a band called Fever Marlene that was out recently. It's a duo. My friend Kevin playing drums in the band. Really interesting band. Um, I could go on, you know. Um, Singer-songwriters are big you know, in this town. So you could really make a living here. I mean, people think, oh, you need to be in the big spotlight. You don't. I mean, the Midwest is really not a bad place. What advice would you have, looking back at your career, kid in Milwaukee, playing music, interested in music, what advice would you give him? Practice. Practice, <laughs> practice. Um, really know that I would say you really got to know if you want to do this or not. It's not an easy job. It's a cutthroat business. There's a line a mile long to take your spot. Um, you got to really want to do it for the love of it. If you're in it to think you're going to be a star or if you're in it for the glory, forget it. Get out. If you're in it for the love of music and what you do, then stay and and really work your tail off on what it is you want to be and become or what it is you want to do. And that and that goes for whether you just want to be an instrumentalist, a songwriter, it doesn't matter. But if you're in it for anything other than that, get out. That would be my harshest advice because it'll eat you up. And you got to have enough integrity inside and enough passion inside to overcome a lot of what's going to be dealt your way. I mean, it's not, it's not an easy poker hand to play, I'll tell you that, especially now. It's really getting difficult for a lot of artists and musicians to sustain what they have going. So that's what I would say. Hey, last question. Dream job. Dream job. 
well, it would be what I'm doing, but making a lot more money. <laughs> <laughs> so you're living your dream. This is all, you know, people say, you know, I got into music because I love it. And I feel like, you know, I'm here on this planet to inspire, at least try to inspire. And if I can, great. If I can't, then I I feel like I haven't done my job. But, uh, you know, it, it's my, it is my dream job. I, I, um, I've done things in this, in my career that one-tenth of the musicians have been able to do. I've played some of the world's greatest theaters, Royal Albert Hall, you know, sold out three nights in a row, you know, and the Palladium and the Greek theater. I got to play all that, Madison Square Garden. I've got to do all this stuff. I would love to do it again, you know. <laughs> it, but but the fact is, is I was able to do it. And I have no regrets for, as far as that goes. Um, if there is one thing I would have done differently, I would have definitely have had a record out of my own a lot earlier. I would have done it in my 20s. But since it wasn't in the cards to do that, here I am, you know. And the reason I say say that, because it would have been interesting to see if I could have made any waves on a national level as an artist versus a drummer. So that would have been fun to try to do. Because this industry is, for some reason, is still too geared on the young. I think if they focused on artists over 30 once in a while, they might actually get music that means something. <laughs> well, you know, and I told, I said it was last question, but I'm going to bring up one last question. Does the fact that you are the age you are, there's obviously a certain maturity to your music. I would like to think so. Um, um, you've learned, I mean, 20 years ago you put out an album where you were musically then, yeah. where you were there personally then, to where you are now. Do you think it would have been good to have it out at that time and then kind of work through it, maybe had a couple under your belt to this point? Or the fact that you think you're putting out a much better product now because of that maturity, that experience. I would like to think so. And um, doing more of what you want to do. I definitely would like to think that was the case. Um. It could be, that's a really good, that's a tough question to answer because, you know, I I could have easily have put two crappy albums under my belt, you know. It, see, I'm, one, I'm a guy that once I put something out or if I write something, I'm ready to go on to the next thing. So I could probably look back at those two albums or an album and go, ugh, you know. But it's a process. The whole thing is a process. This life we live is a process and as an artist, and it, you as a photographer, everything's a process. You're trying to get better. You know? And I sometimes feel that the industry should start looking at older artists. And I say older. They think anything over 30 is old. Um, <laughs> older artists to see what they have to say, you know, instead of worrying about what demographic they're going to sell it to. Because if it's good, people will buy it. John, if people want to hear some of your music, uh, get in touch with you, do you have a website? Yeah, it's Johnny-C-E-E-Calarco, C-A-L-A-R-C-O.com. And uh, Johnny with an H. And they can contact me there. And there's also going to, there also is the K-Nation website, K-Nation, a lot of hyphens. <laughs> um, 
And uh, yes, you can. There's going to be an artist profile page on me there soon, and hopefully, uh, and anybody has any questions, they can reach me on email there. So it's all under the contact list, and the record, there'll be samples of it put up soon. Okay, so. and I'm assuming if somebody was interested in obtaining a copy, sure, through they can obtain it through the website. Yeah, they'll get it through the website. I'll have it on iTunes too and Amazon, yeah. and then I'll be starting my instrumental record after that. So, okay. <laughs> so it's Johnny hyphen C hyphen Calarco yeah. dot com. Yeah, sorry, it's so complicated, but somebody stole my name. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I want to thank you very much. And we'll have that, uh, if you scroll down on the website uh, for the podcast, you will see uh, a link to John's uh, website uh, and to K Nation. Uh, that'll be on there for you mm-hmm. so you know how to contact him. And uh, I guess I'd like to thank you. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and coming down and talking about hey, it. My pleasure. Um, it's always a pleasure to see you. We don't see yeah. each other enough. but uh, Now that I know you only live what? Five yeah. blocks away from five, me? six blocks away. <laughs> yeah, we're moving. Uh, we're moving next month, but the uh, neighborhood went downhill fast all of a sudden. No. Okay, sorry, but, uh, sorry about that. But I appreciate you coming down, talking music, talking music in Milwaukee, learning, uh, learning what you're doing, and uh, it's been great. So um, I would like to sign off. This is Steve Italiano for the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. Again, if you wish to reach us, um, we are on iTunes. Uh, hopefully, you're listening through there. Um, our podcast website is listenupmke.podbean.com and you can contact us through that website or you can send us a direct email at listenupmke at yahoo.com so uh, this is it for episode three again thanks to john calarco for coming down thank you for listening and uh, hope you listen in the future have a good afternoon bye-bye